Human beings are born connected, quite literally, umbilically connected. We're designed and made that way. We're designed and made for connection with the divine, with ourselves, with one another. It's a fact that lies at the very heart of who we are, and it's always been that way. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked an incredibly important question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's being asked what matters most in life. And his answer is as plain as day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is it that matters most in this life? It is to love God, to love one another, and to love ourselves. Everything else is secondary. We are designed and made for connection. It's when disconnection happens that problems arise. There's so much going on in the world at the moment that's deeply troubling. And so much of what is wrong is the direct consequence of disconnection. Between and within families, communities, nations, between human beings and God. Today is Remembrance Sunday. And I suppose it might be said that war is the final desperate expression, the ultimate consequence of that loss of connection, of what happens when we allow ourselves to be defined by division. As we pause today to remember with deep gratitude the sacrifice and service of those who've gone before us, perhaps we might also take a moment to reflect on the devastation that results from disconnection. Because the truth is, we're in a mess. We are a nation divided between leave and remain, left and right, male and female, black and white, north and south, young and old, rich and poor, us and them. We're a world divided between East and West, between First and Third, between free democracies and totalitarian regimes, between oligarchs and slaves. We've become disconnected from one another, and the distance between us seems to be growing with every passing day. This is how Brené Brown puts it. The world feels lonesome and heartbroken to me right now. We've sorted ourselves into factions based on our politics and ideology. We've turned away from one another and toward blame and rage. We're lonely and untethered and scared, so damn scared. But rather than coming together and sharing our experiences through song and story, we're screaming at one another from further and further away. Rather than dancing and praying together, we're running from one another. Rather than pitching wild and innovative new ideas that could potentially change everything, 
we're staying quiet and small in our bunkers and loud in our echo chambers. And all of this is happening in a technical, technological age when supposedly we're better connected than ever before. But actually, the reverse is true. And we're in serious trouble. How on earth are we supposed to respond to it all? By losing heart? By giving up? By joining in the whole hate-filled shouting match? Or is something else required of us? Something completely different, something utterly countercultural, something that runs against the very tide of our times. Well, today's passage holds a possible answer to that question. Have a look at verse 18 of chapter 5. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The very thing that the world is crying out for right now is the very thing that we have been given, the ministry of reconciliation in a time of division. And I would venture to suggest that that reconciliation comes in three forms, with ourselves, with one another, and with God. And let me take each of those briefly in turn. Firstly, reconciliation with ourselves. I wonder if, like me, sometimes you struggle with yourself, with who you are and who you're supposed to be, with your place in the world, with whatever it is you're meant to be doing. I wonder if, like me, you sometimes struggle with your past, with mistakes that you've made and with the consequences of those mistakes. I wonder if, like me, you sometimes struggle with your future, with fear, with anxiety, with the loss of hope. I wonder whether like me in these deeply uncertain, unsettling times, you might begin to lose heart. Well, today's reading has something beautiful to say in response to my fears, in response to my loss of connection with who I am and why I'm here. Look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. It seems to me that Paul is saying the very thing that I'm longing to hear, that I can be made new. Whatever mistakes I might have made in the past, whatever anxieties I might have about the present or fears about the future, that all of it can be made new. And if that's true, it changes everything. It doesn't suddenly make all of those fears and anxieties disappear, but it does something deeper. It offers me hope. I can be made new. I can be the person that God always intended me to be. And it seems that this happens in Christ. It happens in Jesus, at the cross, at the entrance to the empty tomb, at the place where all things are made new. We need to be reconciled with ourselves, with who God made us to be, but we also need to be reconciled with one another. 
The message translation of today's passage speaks of the God who called us to settle our relationships with one another. In June 2016, the MP Joe Cox was murdered. She was a woman of remarkable character and courage who, before becoming an MP, had worked for Oxfam in roles that had exposed her to the realities of life in some of the most challenging places on earth. On entering Parliament in 2015, she gave her voice to the Syrian cause, to the urgent need to find solutions to the conflict, to the desperate requirement for humanitarian aid, and to the plight, the shattering stories of the innocent refugees fleeing the carnage. Her killer was a 52-year-old white supremacist, a Nazi sympathizer, a furious far-right terrorist driven to murder. Joe represented everything that he hated. She had opened her ears and her arms and her heart to the outsiders that he and too many others like him believed were to blame for the ills of his small world. She was murdered during a period of deeply polarized national debate about Britain's relationship with Europe. Reckless agitators were playing on the anxieties of ordinary people, not least about immigrants, those strangers from other places who stood accused of coming over here and stealing our jobs, exploiting our services, raping our women and abusing our children. The national atmosphere was fearful and febrile. Newspapers wrote toxic stories and politicians practiced half-truths and deceptions, all the while failing to acknowledge the overwhelmingly positive contributions of the hundreds of thousands of immigrants, doctors and nurses and engineers and teachers and all the rest who've enhanced and enriched our country in more ways than we could imagine. Joe Cox's story is one of conscience, of public service, of personal sacrifice. It's also a story of the consequences of disconnection, of division, of rage unchallenged and unchecked, of a man of violence possessing weapons and cause. But it's also a story of humanity and hope. Joe was a champion of outsiders, a voice of calm and reason and kindness and experience who once pointed out the very simple fact that we have more in common than that which divides us. What can we learn from her story? So much. Not least that light is stronger than darkness, that hope is stronger than fear, that love is stronger than hate. And as we look at this desperate disconnection and division that we see in all the world around us, how are we to respond? And the answer is simple, with love. With love for the lost and the lonely, the addicted and the abandoned, the beaten and the broken. With love for those who see the world differently to us, who live their lives differently from us with love for friend and enemy alike, never with pointed finger, never with whispered judgment, never with some screwed up sense of religious pride, simply with love.
Martin Luther King had it right all along. Returning hate for hate only multiplies hate, adding even deeper darkness to a night already empty of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hatred cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But how is it possible? Sometimes it feels as though I need all my effort and energy just to keep my own head above water. How can I keep on loving when I feel as though I have no love left to give? Well, the answer's there in verse 14, where it says simply that Christ's love compels us. In the message translation, it says, his love has the first and last word in everything we do. We love because he first loved us. Which brings us to the very heart of things. Because it seems to me that the first two kinds of reconciliation with ourselves and with one another are entirely dependent on the third kind, on reconciliation with God. Ultimately, so much of what is wrong with the world is the direct consequence of the disconnection that has appeared between us and God, between the maker and the made. The world is in the mess it's in precisely because we've turned our backs on him. And we would be in a whole heap of trouble were it not for the miracle of grace. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. The story of human history is the story of God's plan of reconciliation. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he designed and made us to be in relationship with him, to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. But like Adam and Eve before us, we got lost somewhere along the way. We became separated, disconnected from the very source of life. And we've been trying to find our way back home ever since. It was perhaps St. Augustine who put it best. He said, we were made for God and we will be restless until we find our rest in him. The extraordinary good news of the gospel is that God has shown us the way home. He's reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And the way is open to all who would come. As some of you know, I used to be a police officer. Over the course of more than 25 years, I witnessed firsthand the devastating consequences of disconnection. And much of my time was spent is still spent in the search for answers to it all. One of my professional heroes is John Carnican, a retired officer who's one of the world's leading experts in violence reduction. He says this, whatever the question, the answer is relationships. And he's right. Boys join gangs in search of relationships. Girls flee the country to join ISIS in search of a cause to believe in and a place to belong. The descent into drug and alcohol addiction 
so often begins with the fracturing of relationships, either in childhood or in later years. Whatever the question, the answer is relationships. Relationships characterized by kindness and grace and forgiveness and patience and gentleness. More than anything, relationships characterized by love. Human beings are born connected, quite literally, umbilically connected. It's when disconnection occurs that problems arise. In the face of all that is battered and broken, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And it's time to change the world.